This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. You want to know something that might gain me zero fans? It's that zero fans and negative pussy. It's I would explain to people why I like marketing, and I'd say it's like uh, being a business detective. And I said that up until like five minutes ago. So I I deserve all the scorn in the world because it sounds gay. What does being a bit business detective? Business like, detective. Yeah, well, it's like getting a case and then having to fix. Me explaining it's going to make it sound worse. You should have just said, <laughs> "Yes, you're gay. Move on." Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. To be honest, I have no idea what you're saying. So, so, uh, th- so this is Dimes, Dimes Square. Every- when Dimes Square became popping, like originally, everyone—not everyone, but a few people—were coming to me and like, "Is that you? Are you? Is that? <laughs> are you this? Is that you? Are you Dimes Square? Is that literally you?" And I had to like look it up, and then the more I looked it up, the more confused I got about what it was. I know now, but at the time, be like, "Yeah, what is Dimes Square? Dimes?" I'm like, "I think I think it's people. It's girls who meet up and smoke cigarettes." And and call other people gay. I don't know. It's it, it's yeah, theater. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's it's Jewish girls who are pretending to be Catholic, uh, <laughs> meeting up and calling people gay. That is more or less uh, what it is. <laughs> How's it going with you, man? How are things? Um, it's going fine, man. It's going fine. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. I, I, uh, you know, it's been a rough, I had all this shit going on, um, that was, um, happening. It's the year has been rough so far, man. Year has been very rough. I, you know, I haven't, so you're also in marketing. You're also, in yeah, marketing. you are a guy who has my favorite website of anybody in the scene by far. Everybody must check you're, I've had people like reach out to me about your website like several times, being like, "This is the fucking best website I've ever seen." Uh, it's at bloodsatellite.ca, which I guess stands for Canada. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's so you're you're you can tell that you're kind of like in the design or marketing world because it's like uh, kind of a deep fried parody of uh, a, a, like a shitty. SAS website or something. Yeah. You know what the inspiration so was? Is that me and my friends, um, just by accident, we stumbled across this website called man.com. <laughs> um, so people like can look that up. And as we were reading it, it's a real company, but for like 10 minutes, I thought, oh, this this is a parody site because you're reading it, and it's got all this corporate jargon. And it it doesn't mean anything to just the average viewer. And there was something about that, that as even though it's corporate jargon, it's not like 90s jargon, whereas, oh, it's synergy. It's, you know, balancing your parallel inflows. It, it, it was like 
a modern form of corporate jargon, which is also trying to be woke and also trying to be like, we're about sustainability and future capitalizations, not just present capitalization. So I'm like, I like that. I like the corporate jargon that's also trying to, that's coming out of guys who have tattoos, you know? So that's what I was kind of trying to capture, but it's hard. Like it's hard to parody that because it's almost a parody of itself. And yeah, it's, like I'm going to take this and make it gayer. Well, it's already pretty gay, so you can't make that gayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's hilarious. It's really good. You have like a store. You know, I just had somebody on here, Jay Burden, and uh, you did like a thing for Jay Burden that was like some merch. You have a lot of fucking hilarious shit on here, man. Yeah, it's called the Good Suffer Store, and we work with um, a couple of content creators um, trying to take a more of a direct marketing approach to the merchandise because there's a lot of places and a lot of people that just kind of slap their logo up on stuff. And what we're trying to do is be a bit more, this is the goal for this year, be a bit more proactive about working with creators to create something that could not only appeal yes. to their audiences, but also in a, like if you saw this in a store. Yeah. Then you'd be like, "Oh, that's interesting." I I'll put that sticker on my Dude, laptop. I, I have a whole list of of t shirt ideas that I want to do. I want to launch my own store. You know, the Prudentialist has his own store. I just bought one of his mugs. We all need to like up our swag game times like a billion. We it's really we we need to have. Are you familiar with Pizza Slime? Yeah, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, so Pizza Slime really started this like meme to merch thing. And so they, they have like all kinds, they were the ones who started the Erewhon sweatpants. They have the stop looking at my dick sweatpants. They were kind of like the original, like deep fried merch store. And now there's another one, like in Sean Monahan's new report, he talks about like the new one is called uh, online ceramics. <laughs> have you heard of online ceramics? No, no, I'm looking at it right yeah, now. Yeah, dude, though. look up online ceramics. It's like uh, it's all this shit. It's all like super meme-y, like uh, like swag. We, you totally need to be the right wing version of of like our meme store. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think it has to come out of a millennial mind too, because I look at this, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is like an old style web page, like a GeoCities page back when I was a kid. And it's trying to leverage that like A20, not, I'm looking at A24, not A24, but like like conspiracy type shit, like looking yeah. bad on purpose too. Yeah. Wait, a lot of share. Why am I not sharing this? I forget that I can just share with people uh, my screen. So let me just, uh, let me just share what we're talking about. Why not? For the people, why? Yeah, I mean, most people listen to this. They don't watch it, but uh, yeah. So can we see this? I can see it. Yeah, I can see yeah. it. This is my website. Yeah. Yeah. So this is your website and it's just like all this hilarious shit. It's so funny. It's and also just from a practical <laughs> point of view, this is something I advise is your people business to do. ready for the dehumanized God. <laughs> and then and what's, what's funny about that is that was like written in a fugue state too, where I sat down. There was no like planning or branding doc. I just like uploaded all this shit right from my mind onto it. And I'm like, I didn't think anyone was gonna you know, like look at it or take it seriously. So that's become the number one thing that people talk to me about. It's and great, man. It's art. This is art. This is like exactly what our people need to be doing. I still look at it like a nationalized burb, and that's still funny it's to me. Where the two star. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's my policy positions. Flat earth over women's rights. So good, man. 
So good. Uh, yeah. So wait, you you had this other funny thing that was like the info. Where did it go? Oh, it's in about. Yeah, it's like down here. Where? Oh yeah, our mission. William, women no longer allowed to cook. Convince black people that slavery never happened. <laughs> Bribe every Asian girl to tell gay people to frig off. Yeah. yeah dude. <laughs> trick everyone into thinking Canada is Switzerland until this all blows up. <laughs> until this all blows yeah, it's so good, bro. This is fucking really good. Yeah, I here's my t-shirt ideas. You want to know my t-shirt ideas? Absolutely. Okay. I have one. Wait, actually, first, let's look at online ceramics. So this is like you guys can kind of see like online ceramics is like this vibe, you know, and then pizza yeah. slime. Like I looked at that, I'm like, oh, is this like a, a real website when I first saw it? Yeah, I this is like, I call this deep fried. I call it, this is like deep fried culture. I wrote a thing about deep fried culture. It's yeah, like, I read that one. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, I read, like it didn't yeah. come up in our last talk, but I read like 10 of your things and I had notes I was going to bring up. We just didn't get to it, but I liked that one. Yeah, like, like uh, deep fried culture is like, if postmodernism is a, a, a remix deep fried culture it, you know it's like a, a couple songs mixed together uh deep fried culture is like the same song or like the same thing copied a million times on top of itself so like there's so many references that it's like you're yeah. seeing the system itself kind of and, and that's know? what i liked about because um we talked about this a bit i think in our uh, interview before but it's like when someone kind of stumbles across 4chan, it's references within references. That's a bit of an old me, but like people my age, you used to, 4chan used to be cool. It used to be where weird people went and yeah. you would see it. I'm like, I don't know what this is. There's too many references. They're speaking a different language and you wanted to unravel it. And so I always try and look at this shit with new eyes. Like what would someone who's never seen this before see? And I think a lot of our stuff is pretty enticing just because it's so alien to like someone who's just been plugged into mainstream culture their whole life. Yeah. It, this is, this pisses me off this online ceramics thing, because as you can see here, so they're both being bought out by brands. I was so about to say, like, this is so like a this, Nathan Fielder thing right yeah, now. Right? So this says gay for Arby's. Clearly this is a, a this is definitely a like, collaboration with Arby's on pizza well, slime and then because otherwise even, they'd get in trouble like you can't just use no the you can right? you can i mean they they have erewhon and stuff i mean they i i've met this guy he's actually cool the the pizza slime people are cool they're definitely not based at all but like like they're like they're legit uh these online ceramics is kind of like ch cheating like they clearly nathan fielder clearly approached them to like promote his stupid ass fucking movie uh whatever this is the curse so it's like yeah. all their stuff is about the curse like wow which is so fucking lame and it just pisses me off like so much but um yeah like look every shirt on online ceramics is now the curse and like oh nathan fielder is so like weird and it, it's like an, an ironic post ironic ad yeah he's like right it's like so ironic and so deep fried and it's really just like stealing like on um, it's just like stealing our shit or not even this isn't really ours but it's like kind of stealing like deep fried culture and the funny thing is you and i have both worked in environments where i could imagine being in the boardroom where this was pitched or the writer's yeah. room where it's like right. let's do something new yeah and then they're moving their hands you can't see me but i'm moving my hands like an asshole new 
Yeah, it's new. This is how people, this is what it is these days, you know. But, but there's something to that because I know uh, a lot of people, I have some friends who are on like the left or an anarchist spheres as well. And there's this common narrative on that side that the right is where all the money is. And the right is so astroturf because it's so popular. But there's something, I detect something in there, which is the acknowledgement that this stuff is cool and it shouldn't be cool to them. They're upset that this is actually cool. This is something that marketers would pursue and try to commoditize. Whereas previously they didn't know how, or it was, it was too weird, but now this is something they feel that they can monetize, which is a a new kind of area to be in, I think for us. You mean that they're getting this stuff from the right? Or they they look around, they say, what's cool with kids? Like they probably, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Andrew Tate, for example, but I think if you're someone's dad and you're the CEO of a company, you're like, everyone's talking about this Andrew Tate guy. We got to get into this. We got to get into like calling women dumb whores. You know, (laughs) there's the new media of just straight up like the whatever podcast, but what's popular with kids is calling women dumb whores. And they're like, okay, can we we do that? Can we use that? It's more that it's like, I mean, I think your website is perfect. Like everything that you're saying on your website is like uh you know like it's so free right like on the top it's this like ridiculous it's so deep fried and perfect and it, that it says gays have to wear the jews star 9 didn't happen it's like you're being deep fried in this way that's very free right you're not you're not like it's so obviously not real you know what i'm saying that it's like but you're saying stuff that you're not allowed to say. So of course kids are going to be attracted to this. Like I, I, there's this girl, I had, I had this like assistant for a while and she's a perfect example of this. She's like a real dime square girl. And you know, she's not based, she's not like right wing at all, but she just loves saying gay. And she loves like tweeting about libtards because it's just hilarious. It's just really funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's it's that's like, the whole dirtbag left thing where it's right, like yeah, it's, it's very dirtbag left. It's very like just absurd, and people just think that shit's funny. That's why it's so fucking annoying when Nathan Fielder, who would never do anything slightly like to the he would never do anything slightly like inappropriate, right? Yeah. Uh that he's like copying this shit, you know. It's just like so toothless and, and annoying. But it is funny that you mentioning uh calling things gay because that was one of the big victories for our side, which is like getting regular people to admit that yeah, being gay is lame. Gay means lame. South Park tried to be like, no, gay doesn't have to do with sexuality, it has to do with being lame. Anyone could be a fag. It's like, no, no, no. Gay people are kind of gross and lame. When you see a pride parade, it's a weird, gross thing. It's it's dumb. It's weird. And then everyone got dragged into that world where even like lib girls are saying, yeah, that's gay. And that means like two men kissing because two men kissing is kind of lame. That's yeah. what it means. Everyone just kind of admits that now, just like they fought for the right to say retard. Yeah, right. We fought for the right to say retard and gay. And it's like. And it's definitely like now it's okay again to do it. I feel yeah. Like, you, know, you can like feel comfortable doing it. And um, and there's and that's why like even if you watch that scene, watching the evolution of the dirtbag left is kind of like watching the evolution of the hippies. I was reading this fascinating book by I got it right here by by Jim Hogan called Decadence, and it was tracing the history and life of the counterculture movement in the '60s, basically like the boomer counterculture movement and the phases it went through. 
and how it started with sort of spirituality and mysticism, then it moved to magic. And then it actually follows almost beat for beat what we're doing right now, how it sorted and it, it started as urban. And the way it ended was like a lot of these hippies retreating into the woods to create parallel societies. Like it's the exact like line for line, the exact same shit. So I'm looking at that like, okay, they obviously went wrong or went awry. Where what can we learn from that? But there's so much that the, the argument for that um book was like the counterculture movement wasn't a monolith. It was all of the this array of different sort of revolutionary ideas and weird new mysticisms and the I Ching and LSDs right, over yeah, the here. The new age, the new age. Have you ever been to LA, LA before? No, I haven't. So if you come to LA and go out to Spawn Ranch where uh you know charles manson was and this is a good like uh segue into talking about manson and like <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood but you go out there there's still like four or five cults like that still exist out there one is called like children of god or something and you just can feel all in like topanga like there's this these areas of LA where all these hippie communes were existing. This is where like the geodesic domes were. Yeah. You know, like California is still full of this shit. You go up to you know like San Francisco, you know there was that Google cult. Did you hear yeah, about yeah. that? Yeah, where the guy was like fucking at 100 guys a day. That was his like goal. Like how many <laughs> like young and he only straight men. He was like how many young straight men can I fuck a day? Like can I get to 100? Otherwise and, known yeah. as Google what yeah aka working <laughs> <at Google. laughs> let me ask you this is it something about la the city that attracts or generates those cults or do you think it's just like that everywhere um i don't know what is yeah why why is california california you know i i don't know you know i, I think uh, one of the most interesting things about california is have you ever looked at a map of gender distribution uh, of the united states no no i haven't so it's the further it like uh it, it starts in on the east more women than men and then as you go west it reverses to being more men than women so in la there's like way more men than women and it goes as you go further west across the states the gender thing flips and it's like in new york it's like 60 40 women to men in la it's like 60 40 men to women i mean it's not that extreme but it's like uh pretty extreme and you can feel it, you know, like you go out in New York, every time I'm back in New York, I go out and I'm like, there is just so much female flesh, just like everywhere you go. <laughs> there's just like fucking women pouring out everywhere. Whereas LA, most parties are like sausage fests, man. Like you go. Th that out, also is a way an fast. LA guy would say walking off the plane. There's a lot of female flesh out here. Female flesh. <laughs> yeah. No, so but what I, do you why do you think that is? Do you think there's a reason? I, I don't I don't know if you have all the answers to it's this. It's kind but of that a mystery. You no, know, I I think that uh, God, why? You know, I think it's because women inherently don't leave. You know, w women are hmm. more inclined to not go somewhere else. Uh, so I think that it's like less women end up fleeing to a, a place. So just on the east. Just historically speaking, you know, LA is brand fucking new, man. Where I'm sitting right now in Pasadena, I, there's a picture going around of literally where I'm sitting right this second in a big, tall building that a hundred years ago, this was a complete, this was just the state of nature. <laughs> like it was like, there was nothing here at all. There was like two buildings, you know, where I'm sitting right now. 
And so it's brand fucking new, man. Whereas the East Coast has been around for 500 years, you know, like Plymouth Rock, 1650s. You know, it's just so maybe that's what it is that women are just naturally less inclined to like go off into a new place. So So I I remember, I I really don't know. There's an interesting, you know, not to bring this into like an archetypical zone, but I remember like the last seasons of Mad Men, which yeah. is, a show, I'm not sure your feelings on the show. I like it quite a bit, but there is. Dude, my whole, if you've ever, you've clearly never listened to the show before. The, the, my, uh, <laughs> my intro music is a, is a, the carousel is a, is a Mad Men. Yeah, yeah I, I knew that reference, but I didn't know if it's, yeah. if it was like, oh, but you know, that show was too subversive or something. I've heard some people argue that it's like subversive or something i actually just genuinely like it but the, the end of that subversive? show how's it what, like jewish the fact that like there, there's a lot of guys on our side who are who like the early seasons of mad men where the guys were allowed to be more smoking alcoholics and the way don draper ends is admitting that you know that lifestyle was killing him so i think Oh, that's they, not. I don't interpret the. I. I this hate, is not my argument. This is someone else. Like, I this don't is interpret the last episode as that at all. No, the the last episode, the interpretation of the last episode is clearly that he's going to commodify that thing, right? I mean, yeah. that's what it is. It's it's he's. It's not that he really believes in we are the world. It's that he's being like, oh, this is something I can sell. Yeah, you know, but but also like I was more talking about the drinking and smoking specifically because there's that whole thing where Don basically admits that he's he's an alcoholic and there's some really good scenes in there about uh, like with Freddie Rumson and those guys and he's like sh- trying to get off and he's shaking and stuff. But uh, no, and that's the thing that the ultimate take of Mad Men was that here's a guy who just so believes in the American dream and advertising is just the paintbrush he uses. So it's like he's he's trying to sell a dream and he could do that in a genuine maybe because they like oh that's a cynical way of doing it no he just, maybe just likes advertising and believes in it yeah. and he's trying to you know but uh the, the, I don't the think whole he believes in it I, I don't think don draper believes in advertising i think that don draper is a true alpha male and it like every true alpha male i've ever met in my life they don't give a shit about meaning they don't care about meaning and morals and what does it mean and the intellectual beliefs. They don't have beliefs in shit. They believe in themselves. I mean, they believe in uh, maximizing their power. That That is what actual alpha males care about. They don't care about what anything means at all. Well, the interesting thing about Don Draper was he was also kind of a coward. Like his entire lifestyle was like stealing another man's name to get out of war. And then, yeah. like that was that whole breakdown he right. has uh, with Fatty. He's like, I, or no, he was with uh, in drunk with a bunch of. Anyway, there's a bunch of like drunk confession scenes where it's like I stole another man's name and I made nothing of it. And there's all and the last one of the last scenes of that episode is him like in that circle standing across from that kind of loser guy who's just confessing that his wife and kids don't even respect him. And he spent his entire life chasing happiness, but he never knew what happiness was. He's just chasing this thing without knowing what it was. So he's, and then they kind of like hug at the end. It's like, this really poignant moment, but it's like this Don Draper character. It's, it's like a spirit looking for parts to create this form. But like, he, he just believes that like there's, he believes in this thing called the American dream when he's selling you the carousel, you know, he's not, He's he's putting his own life into it in a way that no one else around him would because they are all just cynical admin. But he's he, he his thing works because he is he's he's almost like the American dream given form. 
and then he's being confronted by you know, anyway get up on the whole thing here I, I i appreciate this argument but i think that it's like look i compl- i fully agree so the deal with what happened with um there's a great book about like the golden age of television called difficult men that i would highly highly recommend uh anybody reading and anthony weiner the guy who created mad men was a disciple of david chase who created Sopranos. So Wiener was like David Chase's protege for about five minutes, right? But Wiener is a very, like, he's not, I don't think he's actually gay, but he's a very, like, diva Jewish striver kind of guy, right? Whereas David Chase is known for being very um, ultra cynical, ultra dark, can't get along with anybody you know like really like a a very dark sad depressive like mean guy all these guys are completely fucking nuts that's what difficult men is about like david milch this whole era of tv like hbo guys they're all completely fucking insane uh david milch in particular is uh, totally out of his mind but wiener's like hyper competitive and like really diva-ish and, and like really like bitchy. And uh, in my opinion, what happens with, with Mad Men is he's challenged to make something better than Chase or, or, you know, like as good as David Chase has made. So he puts everything into that first season. That first season of Mad Men is so good. It's perfectly researched. It's perfectly written. It's like... Uh, Everything in it is is rich and like unexpected. And then it very quickly turns into a soap opera. And there's like really, really nothing happens. Like it, it nothing actually really happens. It, it, it kind of went on a bit too long, didn't it? Like it was yeah. something like seven seasons. Or yeah. I think it could have been five easily. Yeah, yeah. It goes on and on and on. And it's really, it becomes very bad. And the the last season's shit. The last episode is garbage i fucking hate that last episode right before the last moment where he's doing the like uh you know we are the world coca-cola ad that's gonna come to be uh he has this horrible scene it's so bad where like some guy is like he's in a therapy circle oh that's what i was talking about just yeah the the guy starts breaking down he's like i'm a product that no one wants and it's like oh my god it's the cringiest shit you've ever seen it's like so fucking bad um but then the very very ending the very last moment is good because he's you know it's like it's perfect because it it goes back to the carousel episode, the carousel speech in season one, which is like, I think what you're saying is right. Like he's going to a level in branding and advertising that no one else can go because he's so like damaged and because he's such a like liar, right? Like he, he has made himself into this product. Right. Um, and so he's just better at it than everybody else. But I don't think he believes in anything. I don't think Don Draper's like a, I mean, what we love about all these characters, right? Of this whole era, we love Tony Soprano. We love Al Swearingen. We love Don Draper. And we love the, and we love, uh, who's the guy from uh, Breaking Bad? Oh, uh, Walter White. <laughs> we love Walter White. 
because because they're they don't believe in anything they're they're not like they're all they believe in is maximizing their own like well-being right you know who might exemplify that maybe even a bit better maybe not a better show but uh nucky thompson from boardwalk empire yeah like sure. there was literally just a guy who was in another you know what's interesting about um the, that last scene um, and just to go back to the Jim Hogan book, Decadence, talking about what he did was he compared uh, the counterculture, the boomer counterculture to the previous generation, which would have been the beats. The beat generation was that that generation's form of that. And he was saying that how the beats had a different conceptualization of the future. Their sorrow was from the idea that America would just continue on forever. Whereas within the uh, counterculture of the 60s, it was more of an apocalyptic vision. Apocalyptic in that everything in the future will be different or change. This is where that age of Aquarius stuff comes in. Um, and he said that sort of apocalyptic vision was so different than previous generations. But that's why they got so deep into this sort of connective mysticism and collectivism that you didn't see in previous generations. But that's what's so interesting about that I want to buy the world a Coke ad. And again, I'm definitely reading too much into this. I don't give a shit though. But the, that ad that I want to buy the world a Coke is in a sense making the consumer into an advertiser. It's like selling them on their relationship to each other through Coke. And I want to buy this person a Coke, which is a, like the next level of like, consciousness and advertising which probably wasn't intended but just reading this book that was the kind of break that that entire generation was doing from the previous generation too yeah i think that's a really good point i think that you you know i've talked a lot about this with our recent like the the meaning of a right-wing brand or at least like a libertarian brand and i think it's like yeah, that's really true. It's like the the brands of that era learned how to sell people the notion of like their own goodness. And I, that that really lasted forever. I think remember when Coke did that thing where they like put people's names on the on the on the on the thing? Yeah. What yeah. was it? It was it people's names or it was like friend. Like what what they yeah. wrote something well, on the cans. Well, like, and it's funny that I worked at an agency, I interned at a very large agency at the top of my career. Um, and Coke was one of the clients. And I remember sitting in uh strategy sessions and brainstorming sessions for Coke because Coke had this. Everyone knew who was working on Coke that this is what Coke does now. Their whole thing is community. Their whole thing is just like taking the human element and just come up with ideas for that. Sit in a fucking room and come up with ideas on things that like just boost collectivism generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was people's. Oh, yeah. OK, it was people's names. And it said share a Coke with Laura. Share a Coke with Dan. Yeah. So like, yeah, dude, no, it's totally true. And, like, and they, we were, they were even talking like the creative director of that agency was like, can we like set up special vending machines where people literally buy each other Coke? Because, you know, for people yeah. who've never been in these agencies, there's this uh, phrase you'll hear, which is wrong, which is there's no bad ideas in brainstorming. I want, I, I wish more people said, you know what? Let me workshop that in my mind before I say, because you'll just hear insane things come out. Like I'm in a, in a strategy session. They're like, can we build a giant robot? Like, that's just stupid. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't even say that. So what is your experience with, uh, what's your experience with, um, you know, this stuff? Like we, we I, I know you don't want to dox yourself, but like how deep into the, 
you know, how deep into the, the, the mainstream marketing world have you gotten, if you don't mind? Me okay, asking. good question. So uh, I'm in Canada. So that might, you know, there's a few advertising hubs in the world. Uh, Toronto is surprisingly up there. So I worked in uh, for around 10 years. I've been in marketing. I worked in very large agencies. I worked in medium sized agencies with around, you know, 10 people. Then I've worked in very, very small agencies with just a few. And I would, I ran my own. Uh, a few years ago. And uh, so I've had, and I've also worked client side, which means I've seen marketing, not for, only from the agency side, but working as a client in a marketing director role, which I think is essential to kind of see how it all fits together. Um, and so I would have worked in Toronto and some very, very large ones. Um, and really? for my, So you've been really deep in it. I would say I prefer small businesses. I don't wow. like working with large brands. I've worked with startups as well. I helped found a startup incubator at one point. So I've worked wow. in the startup space, not not currently, but I found that very interesting, uh, very frustrating, as I'm sure you could imagine. But um, I, I prefer working with small businesses, just for the record. I don't like big... A lot of young people think you want to work with a Coca-Cola. You want to work with these, like a Mercedes or something. I find it's a headache. And currently, I think big brands understand they have carte blanche to just abuse marketers and agencies because they know they're the bell of the ball. So um, I found that my wife works in marketing too. Exact same amount of time as me, different agencies. But can you um, say what your role was? Can you tell them like were yeah, you a well, designer? I, I, were you a Yeah, I well, this is the thing. So at various points I've done various roles. So like for example, my last uh role was a content lead. So I would have managed a team of creatives, uh designers and writers. Uh, I've also worked as a designer, so my competency with the Adobe Creative Suite, I wouldn't say is the top. I wouldn't call myself a designer because I know people who went to art school and art directors who do that. But I would say I can hold my own. Um, then I would have been a media strategist before that. So that would have been I dealt with the accounts team and just devised strategy pitch decks for the clients that came in. Prior to that, uh, one of the roles at an, a mid-sized agency, I would have been the uh, social media and content manager. So I would have handled all the social media accounts for around 12 of our biggest clients. So oh, that damn. was the, a lot of the scheduling and a lot of the keeping up with those certifications, which is a fucking nightmare. Um, prior to that, I would have, what would have been just a marketing director for a, a fairly large law firm as well. Um, that was a fun one. I actually enjoyed that one the most because working client side is a bit easier than working for agencies. I find again, because agencies, the larger they are, are largely sweatshops um, and liars as well. They fake yeah, numbers yeah, yeah. a lot of the time. So, but, what, so what I, does I, that mean sweatshop when you say that? Cause people say that about the big agencies around here. And I, you know, I really haven't worked at enough of them. I've always been, you know, in, in my mainstream advertising career as a creative, I really was a bottom feeder. I was a bottom feeding schmuck. I worked at shitty agencies and like influencer side agencies. The only time that I really, I worked in pharma, which is like very viewed as like the, the worst part of advertising. And that'd be a I, tough uh, one though. There's a lot of money in that. And it's but yeah, really good money, but it's very like not respected. And then the only time I had any real like prestige was working in branding, which that I did like work at the good agencies, but I never like was a creative director inside one of the really big agencies. So I, I, I don't know. And everybody used to say, oh, it's a sweatshop. So like, what does that mean? 
Good question. Uh, so I will say, well, try to give an example again without doxing myself. So my wife, her agency, uh, it's a, an all girl boss agency, yeah. and they have the tendency of leading every conversation with anything you need, whenever you need it, will be there. Holidays, evenings, weekends, just send us an email because they they believe that their main selling point is being available. So they they put it out there. They put a, a hang a shingle saying, we'll be your slaves. So they go out of their way. to. So you'll be working evenings. You'll be working on a Sunday. You'll be working, especially if it's e-commerce. So another point is that if you're working on anything in e-commerce for any big e-commerce brand, you understand that their biggest blitzes are during sale times, Black Friday, you know, in and around the holidays. So if you are doing any sort of campaign, they need to be dynamically changed and optimized on the go hour by hour a lot of the time. So if you are dealing with big money e-commerce clients, they will demand that you're staying up late to turn on or turn off an ad or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. So that's like the digital part. You got to turn, turn them on and off and shit. Yeah. And just, just again, some boring shit for people, but I find it interesting. It's that, um, if you're designing an, an ad, um, and this is also true on Google, uh, what, the value of the ad is how long it's running a lot of the time because it leverages machine learning so much and AI to the point where if you're running an ad long enough, the Google will effectively design your ad for you. You just type in a bunch of headlines, it'll swap in and your conversion rate will be like 30%, which is like unheard of. Like a conversion rate historically would be like 5%. So, but the, the ads make themselves if they're running long enough and they've the, the program, the algorithms learned. So there's a, an investment in not just creating new ads because a new ad you can schedule, you can schedule it to go up and go down however if you what they ended up doing is running and every agency does this right they, they're running the same ad for five years because they don't want to lose those quote-unquote learnings and the only way to turn it on and off you can't schedule that you got to be doing it on the fly whenever you need so there's a lot of people out there like we we got to run the same ad for five years because it's so effective um and anyway i won't get too technical with it but that's what a lot of people are doing and so that's why there's so many people still getting jobs as campaign managers because it's a shit job and there's no real good way to automate it yet well but it's uh, but how is there no way to automate it sounds like there is a way to automate it right isn't that what you're saying because there is but you just kind of the ad exists and then it's learned the learnings that are happening is basically how many people are clicking on it based on how it's written or what appears on it. Right. So the you ad a, is just yeah. existing forever because it's slightly like changing depending on what's working and not that's, that's how this works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason is what the platforms want you to do is create a new ad every time and to ramp up to that level of effectiveness will take, a few weeks or a few months, during which time you're kind of just wasting, you're spending more money, but you're kind of wasting money, but you're actually spending more money on the platform, which is what the platforms want. They want you wasting money, like yeah, a casino. Yeah, they want you spending on the stuff that doesn't work, right? So right. they kind of make it difficult for you to manage your budget effectively. That's why you need just humans there to manually turn it on and off so you're not uh, wasting client money. Because at that level, the margins are so fucking razor thin. Like you're competing on price with other agencies. You're already probably driving down your profit as much as you can. And honestly, once you get to the high enough level, you start seeing some shady shit like there's some in toronto there's a lot of the international agencies are there but some of the big names like the fake uh campaign data 
or they'll they'll start taking they'll, they'll say we need a budget for this they'll shave off a bit of that budget for themselves and then lie about the numbers so it doesn't look you know they're cooking the books basically but yeah, that's just yeah. one way they can get a bit more revenue um, and if you think that wasn't happening tenfold during COVID-19, you know, that's why no one can make sense of the data anymore, by the way. That's why there's so many influencers like I can't make sense of these numbers. I, the, 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 I'm not getting conversions on the ads. Everything kind of seems fake right now. But there's so much money invested in keeping this framework going that I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but you're seeing a lot of layoffs and that's what was interesting about twitter you know, elon musk made a wager like can you fire most of these people and things still keep going because the people he really fired i knew people who were fired from twitter they were the um product managers yeah and that that was a general term for my job is to deal with uh ad people to companies yeah. to try and convince them to spend more but can we get rid of those people and the wheels keep turning and it looks like the answer is yes yeah wow it's crazy it's it's really funny yeah it's it's yeah 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 no i think that um a lot of those jobs are totally useless and so much of it as you said is just like this pretend thing of email me at any time and i'm always available and you know women are so easily talked into this my favorite story one of my favorite like tech stories of the past like uh to five years or so was what happened at away luggage did you see that no no i didn't hear about that one so <laughs> this is so great like away luggage was a total girl boss company right it was it was like uh, the ceo was a woman and she had this like tribe of customer service women and like it became a cult And like the customer service woman like wouldn't eat for days. Like their family were like calling being like, we haven't seen Rachel in in weeks. She said she was coming home for Thanksgiving and she said she was coming home for Christmas and we're really worried about her. And they were all like getting divorces and shit. And it all like came to a head somehow. So all the Slack messages got leaked. Oh, of course it came to a head. Why? Because the like black and gay like uh what do you call them resource groups what what are these things inside companies that are like the the black organization inside the company well it depends on the organization but yeah resource groups would no be one there's of them. some word for this it's like the uh like like black group inside company it's like called the employee resource groups yeah exactly and uh <clears throat> they started complaining about having to like work too much. So then it became a lawsuit and then it all came out. And what you saw was this like arch bitch who was the C I think either the CEO or like slightly under the CEO, like completely manipulating these, these women into working and completely destroying their personal lives. Right. Absolutely. it, It was like, it was like, okay, you might have, 2.5 hours off for Thanksgiving, but then we'll need you to come back in because you believe in the mission, right? 
you believe in the female driven mission of this company, blah, blah, blah. And so they were just completely, they became slaves, like utter slaves for away luggage. The the irony is that if you had a misogynistic man running that, he would have given them more time off. He would have said, oh, you need a week off for your fucking period? Go ahead. And it would have been better for them. Oh, way better. I mean, no, I mean, a man couldn't have gotten away with any of this, right? I mean, now, now a man, a gay man, maybe, right? Like a sassy gay man can, and I mean, this is why the industry is what it is now, because straight men literally cannot have these jobs, right? Yeah. I mean, like, and for people who need a, for people who need a bit of context, if they haven't seen it, I don't know if this is in other industries, but um, if I were to apply for a job right now where I'm in Canada, every single agency job and any single uh, government-related job, they will literally ask you on the application, are you gay? Are you a minority? Are right. you a woman? And they'll say something which is endlessly funny to me, which is, this isn't going to weigh our decision. We just want to know. <laughs> yeah. And of course, if you write, well, prefer close. not to say, they're like, oh, that means white. And I'm like, it's so yeah. in the open that like I don't know what how you're supposed to feel about that. That's why it's so difficult for these guys to get jobs. And that's why you will very often see in Toronto like completely female run agencies, but there's Dude, zero. No, there's no other way. I mean, like literally it's the standards are so glaringly different that either you I don't see how you could possibly survive at all for five seconds. I mean, you would basically have to completely separate yourself. The second you get any power inside one of these companies, you're immediately a target, right? So there's two types of white straight men inside mainstream marketing companies. There is the grandfathered in ones that are at the top of the company. A lot of time they started the company. A lot of times they, you know, they just moved up the hierarchy long enough ago that they're at the top, right? And since the longhouse works the way it does, the longhouse tends to worship these like dads, you know, Yes. like, like they want nothing more than the approval of daddy. Like that, that's all that really counts to them. Like way more than the approval of a woman. They want the approval of like the man at the very top. Right. So there's this like layer of, you know, the hype dads, whatever you want to call them at the very top, but then they've made it completely 100% impossible for any man with talent or any man that is in the slightest bit problematic straight a straight man to move up in the system yeah. you know like there's just no chance and they'll they'll outright tell you this too because i've been told by hr people it's like you're not going to make it to a certain level or you're not going to get hired because you're a white man. And there's been people who have forwarded strategies around that, which I just don't want to do, which is no, dude, just you. just lie and say you're trans. I'm like, I'm not right. gonna do it. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie and say I'm, I'm genderqueer. I'm not gonna go down this legitimizing pathway. I shouldn't have no, to fuck that, dude. I, I quit on the spot, man. I, I was working inside this agency ultra, ultra longhouse, like 10 out of 10 longhouse. And uh I brought, I fucking killed it for that, man. I brought in literally like millions of dollars to the company that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And yet every Friday I was given a long talking to about, oh, I would, it wasn't nice enough to this person and that this person. And I tolerated it for a year. And then the year came up and I was like, all right, well, maybe they're giving me all this shit all the time, but at least they must know like 
I've literally brought millions of dollars into this company. Like, I'm not even just saying that. Literally, this is true. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, all right. I just tried to like ignore it. And then it came time for raise time. And I was like, all right, well, okay, I guess, you know, let's talk about the raise. And the woman said to me like, oh, no, like your behavior problems, like you could, you could really raise high here, but you can't get anywhere until your behavior problems are sorted out. And I quit like on the spot. It's insane that they I tied quit on the spot. I literally said, okay, fuck you. Bye. Like, because if you're not gonna, like, there's no way I'm ever going to get ahead here. You know, if it's, if I have to like worry about my behavior all the time, like, fuck that. Well, the funny thing is, is because in a male driven industry of any kind, uh, there's this, th there is a thing called a work culture, but it's ancillary to the actual work itself. So the idea is like, if everyone hates you, we'll just fire you. But yeah. living in this gray zone where it's like, you do a good job, no one hates you, but you could just tweak a few things. And for that reason, we've tied a monetary benefit to it. That blows my fucking mind. Because if you do the, a good job, you should get a raise. Very, yeah. very no, simple. If you bring money into a company whose job it is to get more money, from your clients, you should get a raise. That is it. It doesn't matter how you behave, who cares. If you do the job better than other people and you bring in the money, you then get a raise. That's, that's the, you know, there's no other, as soon as somebody, my advice to anybody would be as soon as somebody tries to any environment that you're in, that's not going to recognize your value. You should just leave immediately because yeah, you're, you're going to be miserable for the, for, for the rest of your life. And also like I've been in this industry long enough where like I've survived in places like that. And for people who haven't, it really does weigh on your soul. Oh, it, it does drive you insane. It's As a man, having to learn how to write an email so you don't sound angry to a female yeah. mind, you lose a part of it. And so you start like, okay, because to not get in trouble, I need to write more exclamation, exclamation marks to let them points, know. Exclamation points, yeah. I need to write smiley faces. I need to, for the last place I worked yes. at, you know, I really had to be on Slack a lot. I'm like, okay, if you don't wish everyone a happy birthday, yes. that's that oh, thing you were talking about. There's murmurs about you now. Yeah. Oh, you're not playing the game. I'm like, and you better have a fucking party emoji, but because you better right. mean it. Yeah, you didn't agree and amplify uh, the this person's... I mean, and then, of course, it really starts to get bad when politics gets involved. I mean, I the best agency I ever worked for was uh, a, a great branding agency that wasn't longhouse at all. It was a bunch of like young, talented British dudes who made incredible work. I mean, these guys were they worked really hard. They worked like, you know, they would get there at nine. They would leave at 10 every night. Uh, designer, you know, it was very design centric. So, you know, designers work so many hours because it just takes forever to do what they're doing as opposed to writers who can just kind of like, you know, shit out, yeah. whatever. But uh, I was so impressed by them and and the, 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 the quality of the work was great. Um, but the, you know, they were playing this woke game. All their clients were woke. Uh, it was big tech. Right. So it's like every client is going to be woke as fuck. And God, this girl who was just pure cancer worked next to me and she was uh, horrible, you know, not good at her job at all. I looked at her. She spent all day shopping every day, all day shopping. And um, of course, what did she do with the agency she constantly tried to get them to take on 
woke pro bono projects. And she <laughs> successfully did this with this fucking trans rights organization that she just kept forcing it. So suddenly every day we have to have a meeting about this pro bono trans client. This girl. Yeah. That's the great thing about trans clients is that no matter what they're doing, it's always nonprofit. Right. Right. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. like, like it's, it's nonprofit. Although no, but really think about it. What is more lucrative than trans surgery? You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. actually very for profit. So, you know, this was one of these, these companies and it became a thing where it was like every day they'd be like, who wants to volunteer some time on the trans project? This literally happened. Oh, it sounds like and, a joke. and now it's your problem. Now yeah, it's like, oh, now, you haven't raised your oh, hand enough. I didn't raise my hand excitedly about the trans project. And then, of course, you become a fucking target, which is exactly what happened to me. And, uh, you know, I was killing it there, too. I brought in a bunch of money there, too. And it was just you couldn't I couldn't survive because I had to either say something all the time that was against my beliefs or, um, you know, slowly but surely become like an enemy of, of the system. You, you want to know a funny story? I got another fired story for you. Yeah. So, um, you know, over the past few years, there's a lot of upheavals in our industry. Like my story over the past few years was like, I moved to a different city to take my dream job, a very difficult to get job. The one that I was going to stay at for the rest of my life, then COVID-19 hits. And because I was the most recent hire, I get laid off then. So I was kind of floating around for a bit during COVID um, in a new town where there wasn't a lot of work. And then I developed this uh, strategy where I noticed over my career that a lot of small to mid-sized agencies, the principles of those agencies aren't good at anything. You have creative directors and accounts directors who they can't put pen to paper. They can't come up with an idea. They don't have any technical skills. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to market my services to agencies. I'm going to be airdropped into this agency to help this creative director come up with a plan because they actually don't know how to run campaigns. They don't know how to do SEO. They don't know how to do anything. And so this one... And I will preface this by saying this is back when I was drinking, so they might have this might have been to blame for it. But uh, I I had a big fiery exit from this because I was on a, a in internal call with the main creative lady and a couple people alongside me, and they had this one long term employee and she was a woman young woman millennial woman but she was one of those neuroatypical you know <laughs> i i have anxiety i have floating yeah. anxiety yeah and she was just saying they're like oh can you do this week i'm like i don't know i'm feeling kind of anxious this week and the creative director was like okay well you know whatever you need and i'm just like i'll do it I'll do, I'll, it needs to get done. Like this is, I know what this project is. He's going to all do it. Like, no, 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 let's just negotiate it with her. And it became this big blow up where I'm like, this is fucking stupid. That shit's made up. You're, you know, just like, and then calling people out. Eventually, you know, I got so laid you up said later. It. You said, you said this shit's made up. I, I, I said, I'm like, she's anxiety. What does that mean? You've got anxiety. You can't do the work. I'll do yeah. the work. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? This is easy work. This is, you got to write some copy yeah. for a campaign. And you're unsure if you'll be mentally able to do. I'm like this. This sounds made up. Just this is dumb. What what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah. And again, you know, I I haven't had a drink in many many years, but that was one of those times. A lot of people when they look back on if they were a heavy drinker, like man, I burned a lot of bridges. I regret that. 
most of the bridges I've burned were good bridges to burn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy that I burned most of those bridges and told people to fuck off when I should have. Yeah. So I'm in your same boat, dude. I also just stopped drinking. It's been oh, how's it? How you doing? How's it feeling? You don't want to get into it too much, but yeah, uh, it it's good. I, it's fucking terrible. I hate it. I hate not drinking. I love drinking. <laughs> and I hate yeah. not drinking. <laughs> hey, sucks. they say booze is so good, you'll wreck your life for it. You know? Yeah, dude. yeah. No, um, I, mean, I, I definitely uh, am also a problematic drunk. You know, I am. I'm like the guy at the party who is like being edgy. You know what I mean? And like saying things that's making everybody very uncomfortable, but like, and just sucking all the energy out and like making it all about him. Which is terrible. Like when you see that guy at a party, you hate that guy. You're like, oh God, here we go. Like, I don't want to fucking, it's, oh, it's the, it's the, this guy show. Right. You know, because he's so drunk that he's just like making it so that everybody is not really having a good time because he's just messing with people. I like totally was that guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know what? Most people, if they have a problem drinking, they end up that guy. There's this myth yeah. that you could be like a functioning alcoholic. I'm like, for a period, everyone is, but then you usually end up, I know I did, as like an angry drunk or yeah. uh, call people out drunk. And I, the one thing I like to say is I didn't quit drinking. I finished drinking. <laughs> I got to the end. I, I got to the very end. I did the whole yeah. thing yeah, and uh, I saw where it goes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. So. Yeah. So how, how long have you been sober? I'd say around three years. Um, for me, uh, during the first bit, it was helpful to count the time, but, um, for me, and I'm not trying to give advice to everyone, but for me, it was helpful for me to not count the days eventually. Cause a lot of people do, um, especially if you go to meetings a lot and if, if people go to meetings, that's fine. But for me, I saw people there, where like counting the days and counting the years became a big part of that. And I'm like, it's easier for me to not drink if it's not always in the forefront of my mind. It's easier for me to forget about it. And that's what that that's what helps keep me. And I'm to the point now where I don't even really miss it. I know that I, what I miss is cigarettes. I miss smoking cigarettes every single fucking day. Um, but I don't miss drinking nearly as much as I thought I would. And that surprised me. Yeah, I'm the reverse. So I've been smoking a lot of cigarettes. I'm like getting addicted to cigarettes because I am not drinking. Um, And I just, you know, I'm a fucking writer, man. I'm I'm like a gonzo writer, you know? It's like drinking is like a part of my like being. (laughs) It's like so fundamental to who I am, you know? And it's it's like, it's really been very, it's very hard. I don't like to, I mean, so tell me this. Did you, do you remember- did you have a period where it was like, oh, I just can't go to parties? That's where I'm at now. I'm just like, I have going to parties. It's unbearable to me. Like just being at a party without drinking, not because I want to drink, but just because I don't want to be there, you know? Yeah. And I'm the same way. So I just kind of stopped going to parties and maybe I aged out of it because I'm also like in my mid thirties. So it's not like I was going to a lot of clubs anyway. Um, and I know if you're, like, if you're single in your 30s and you got to meet girls, that's difficult. But I'm also married. So I'm like, you know, it was a bit easier for me to check out of that in a way that maybe others might struggle with it. But uh, yeah, I'm the same way. So for me, 
Because for me, like, I like to keep busy. So if I'm at a party and like, I could be doing something else that I enjoy. What I try to do is be as curious as possible to who I'm talking to. And that's where being a marketer kind of helps where I can get interested in most people's story, especially if it's something I haven't heard before. It seems kind of boring. Like if someone runs a doorknob factory, I can kind of force myself to be really interested in that. Um, and that that's the party solution. But other than that, you know, maybe also my thing is I, I did quit every other drug. I do acid in a heartbeat. So I don't <laughs> I would do fucking, you know, peyote or some shit. So if, if there's fucking psychedelics at the party, I'll still do that. But there's usually not. Yeah, we call that sober like sober. You you do all the uh, do all the other drugs besides alcohol. And that's what I'm I mean, that's my. uh that's my rule too. I'll do anything, but I just find I, I don't really like the other drugs. Well, that's the thing. Everyone's got their one. It's very rarely is someone just into everything in the sense that everyone likes cocaine. Cocaine's great. If you don't like cocaine, you're a fucking liar. However, there's cocaine guys. Yeah. There's people that's, that's their, their thing. thing. Right. Whereas yeah, it, it, for me, it was just, it's just totally like, that's my it's like yeah and also usually it's a specific type of booze like for me like i wouldn't get excited about wine i wouldn't get excited about beer but i love whiskey like hard liquor vodka whiskey even gin that's my fucking thing where some guys it's just beer whatever um but uh for me also what i noticed and this is some people might find this interesting because i get messages from people who are trying to quit drinking and I don't be, I'm not an evangelist about it because I'll get messages from some guys where like, I've been drunk for three days, man. You know, do I have a problem? I say, well, hold on. Is it a long weekend? <laughs> because you're allowed to drink for three days. Like, you know, it's not a problem till it's a problem. That's yeah. my policy. You know, if you're, if you're drinking a bit more, Hey, it, everyone has a wedding. Everyone has, you know, the yeah. fucking that period between Christmas and new years. Everyone's kind of drunk for that. That's fine. But it's up to you to define when it's a problem. Yeah, And uh, for, for me, it was like, well, I've been drunk for like five weekdays straight on straight vodka and I'm th- I'm in a parking lot getting drunk and throwing up yeah. at 10 a.m. So like that's it. That's not fun. It's yeah. also being fun and cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it gets really bad. Yeah, dude. No, I mean, it's it really it's horrible. It's a horrible thing and it's a horrible addiction, man. Oh, did you see, you know, one of the things that really scared me straight was, did you see um, that nobody watched this for some reason? And it's really like everybody should be talking about this and they're not. It's uh, the anarchists on HBO. No, I've heard of that, but I haven't seen it. What's that like? Yeah, for some reason, like this, I think they buried it on purpose. I think HBO, they didn't advertise this at all. And they released this great, it's not, okay. The documentary is not particularly well made because it's made by this like weenie. He's like, this guy who makes it has too much of an agenda and he's such a cuck. He's such a like typical journalist bitch. You know, like journalists have this Nietzschean flip where they, uh, they're very, they're very much, the reason why all journalists are terrible, you know, a jab, all journalists are bad. Is, is because they, uh, you know, they have this uh, warped Nietzschean agenda. This is why I could never cut it as like an actual journalist. And I would always like fight with people because they, uh, they like, their willpower is to exploit a subject, usually a person, to forward their own agenda and to forward their own 
fame, right? But yeah. they're doing that under the guise of telling someone else's story. So yeah. they're, they're kind of these inherent swindlers. You know, they're like spiritual swindlers where they're saying, I care about this other person, but really they care about themselves. And of course, like really, really great journalists. There's, of course, many exceptions to this, that there have been wonderful journalists and there are people who who understand this well. But anyway, the, the guy who does this documentary is very much one of these like reverse willpower people. And he, uh, the story is the, the anarchists and it's about Anarcho Poco, which is this anarchist conference that popped up in Acapulco during COVID. It kind of like got big during COVID like a lot of these things. Or no, no, no. It got big right before COVID, maybe? Well, let me say this. I'm yeah. looking at it right now, and I, I thought I knew what this was. This is completely different than what I thought it was. I don't I think I've ever no heard of this, this, but this sounds so fucking weird. fascinating. And it came out 2022, apparently. Yeah, it's. I think for this is one of these things that HBO, in committing suicide, uh, decided not to put any money behind, even though it was one of the best things they've done recently. Uh, but... They so there's a character in it, and this character he's it's real. It's a documentary, so it's not like a fake character. He, you know, basically is one of the organizers of the festival or of, of the conference. And even in the early episodes, he's drinking a lot, right? But he totally seems like just a jovial. Like the, the these are all libertarian. They're anarchists, right? So what an anarchist actually means is basically somebody who just likes to drink at all hours of the day. So a lot <laughs> of them are like uh, are are like drunks, you know. But he's drinking and he's drinking a lot. He's got this super hot wife. It's super. It's so fucked up, dude. And he's got kids, and he gets in a fight with like the main guy who's like a crypto millionaire, and the main guy fires him, right? And really, this guy is a drunk, but like this is his whole life is this conference. And he spins out of control and he slowly kills himself with drinking, basically. Right. Yeah. And you see it happen. And the last episode, they're in the hospital with him and you see him dying in front of his kids of like liver failure. Right. Yeah. And he is bright yellow. Like he's got he, the cirrhosis, yeah. Dude, he he you've never seen anything like this in a fictional film. The way he looks is fucking horrifying. Shane yeah, Gillis, it, they Shane Gillis did an episode on this and he said he looks like Homer Simpson. Yeah, <laughs> like I I believe honestly there was this uh, it reminds me of this story and people don't think it can get that bad where you could consciously you, Here's the thing that once you get that deep into any sort of addiction you do reach a fork in the road and you can decide knowing that you're going to die to go down it. I remember there's this band that I still like called children of Bodom. Um, a lot of people might've heard about them sort of melodic death metal band and the lead singer, crazy talented singer and a guitar player. His name was Alexi big time alcoholic. And there was a story and he died of uh liver failure. And like he sat the band down at one point and said, you know what? I choose alcohol. I yeah. know it's going to kill <laughs> yeah. me, but I'm I'm just going to go down this road and I'm I'm ha with I'm completely sober minded as it can be. And to me I'm like that's it has such a hold on you that you don't you hear, you hear stories of people turning away from it. You don't hear the pe stories of people who just choose to do that consciously. 
It's so fucking sad, man. And they, he does this like in front of his kids and his kids like don't know what's going on. And he's literally the color of a fucking school bus. Like he's not, it's not like, he, it, like even in leaving Las Vegas, best movie about alcoholism. And yeah. it's a, a movie about a guy who decides to kill himself with alcohol. Even in that movie, he doesn't look as bad as this guy look like this guy. It looks like literally he's like been painted yellow. It's like that shit makes you fucking look. It's so fucked up. It's like yeah. so fucking disturbing. It's like it was great about leaving, leaving Las Vegas. That was a great drunk movie because you're seeing a guy who's drunk off his ass and thinks he's the shit and thinks he's the most charming guy and cool. Yeah. But he's just this like sweaty, drunk, clumsy guy. Yeah. But when you're drunk, like that's why to your point earlier about the writing, that's one of the reasons that I stopped is because my writing became more effective when I was sober, because I write in a very specific way. I write a lot, but I can't write with a lot of distractions. And I know if I'm drunk, I'm not going to write. And if I'm hungover, forget about it. So I can only write in very specific you know, focused circumstances. So like for maybe in my early twenties, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to drink a bottle of whiskey and write this thing. But it eventually it was just an impediment. And then the stuff that I wrote was dog shit. And I'd look at it later. I'm like, I, but I, at the time I thought it was great at the time. It was the most poignant and profound idea ever. But, you know, I, I saw, had enough of those mornings. Where I'm like, this just isn't good. It's a waste of time. What I'm doing. That's why I stopped. Well, but we can't say that writing makes alcohol makes you a bad writer because all most of the great writers in history have been hard. Here's a counterpoint. They were amazing writers and think how, better their writing might have been better they would have been that that might sound like a co-phrase but you know consider that you know like maybe and there's a lot of writers who were sober and then just beat their head against the typewriter so i understand i completely adhere that but i i submit my cope phrase and i stand by it okay all right i see i i disagree i think i'm a better writer when i'm drinking Uh, i was a very bad writer when i was stoned and you know what i think is actually the worst thing for writing is adderall Adderall, you can really? tell. Oh, Adderall is horrible. And I take Adderall occasionally. Adderall is so fucking bad for writing. It's such a pleasure to write on because you're just like, whoa, fuck yeah. You know, like every everything you're writing is Because like that's what so people good. say. I take Adderall to write, but you're saying that it makes oh, me it's bad so writing? Oh, it's so fucking bad, man. It's so bad for you. I can see it in myself. I can see it in myself. Like I, I can tell the parts that I've written on Adderall and the parts that I've not written on Adderall. And that's interesting. The, yeah. The stuff that you write on Adderall is it's so over, it's like bloated. It's like air. Adderall writing is like air. And I can wow. always tell, like I know several very successful writers who write like in mainstream journalist types who write on Adderall. And I can always see like, man, this is why dude, all of DC, the entire left in general is essentially powered by Adderall. Like Adderall is literally powering all of DC, everything. And you can see it in the way that the uh, regime and, you know, the regime propagandists, you can see it in the way that they act. Like I've uh, never heard this before. This is fascinating. I'd like to hear as much of this as possible. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can see it, man. You can see in, in the way they, the ideas that they have, the way they write, 
you know, is so Adderall fueled. Adderall is great for legal writing. That's I got into it in law school and uh, it's great for legal writing because legal writing is just vomiting, you know, every point on the page. It doesn't have to be good or nuanced at all, you know, uh, whereas writing creatively, it's very bad for writing creatively because you're just it's you're just spewing uh, on the page and it's it ends up being very uh, indigestible to others, I think. Now, this might be an unknowable question, but do you see any generational differences there is like everyone on Adderall or do young people maybe zoomers use it more or less everyone is on Adderall on the left literally every single person is on Adderall i mean it, any striver any lefty gay striver uh they're all 100% of them are on Adderall everybody in dc is on Adderall you know like i wonder if Adderall replaced no cocaine cuz people used to do cocaine to stay up and get a lot of writing done but now maybe that's like a shift that happened as well I don't think people realize how crazy the powerful people are. Like people think that artists are really like uh, the crazy ones, right? Because they artists kind of pretend like they play the role of the no rules person. And I think historically that's true, right? Like the beats really were drunk and high all the time. And uh, the hippies really were on acid. And, and you know, like, um, I think all that was true for a very long time. Today, that has totally flipped. Like, actually, one of my favorite things is, do you know how uh, liquid death mountain water came to be? I think we might have talked about this. Um, it started as like a, a, a meme or a joke, didn't it? No. So what it started as is uh, musicians on the Warped Tour. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy who founded it was like some marketing guy on the Warped Tour. And what musicians on the Warped Tour would do was they would take a like a can of beer and they would empty it out and then they would pour water in it and they would drink it on stage. So it looked like they were like getting wasted on stage, but actually they were <laughs> drinking water because, you know, they wanted to look cool, but really they're all try hard fucking dorks, you know, in today's <laughs> world. And uh, so they weren't actually doing drugs. They were just kind of pretending to do drugs. And I think that, and in my experience with artists in general, that's very true. They're very soft. Artists are like soft and they're strivers. They're not like crazy drug people. Especially um, now, especially like the the types of rappers you see come up and in, in the alternative scene, like they, aside yeah. from the ones that are just killing themselves on Xanax, that's a different story. But a lot of them, just seem like they're pretty much straight edge. Like that yeah. used to be a big deal in punk if you're straight edge, but now it, it, that's way more prevalent, I think. No, very true. Yeah, I think I, most of them are like relatively straight edge, I think. Uh, and whereas the people who are really nuts are the like power people, you know, the 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 bankers and the DC people and like the, you know, the LA like, agent types i've hung out with them nobody is nobody goes harder than than those people man like the suits in today's world it's the suits that are fucking really they're on every fucking drug you know that like imaginable they're uh you know ketamine now is everywhere ketamine's like the big new drug that everybody's on all the time um 
And, you know, they're on acid, they're microdosing shrooms all day, they're all on Adderall, and they're on Xanax. You know, like the amount of drugs that like the mainstream people are doing is really, really, DC, you know, I've, I've heard crazy, basically, you know, the gay DC scene, we just saw, you saw the video from the, the, uh, the guy getting pounded in the ass in, in the Senate, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we all saw it. Yes. Disgusting. But uh, like the DC, from what I've heard, the DC gay like power scene is absolutely fucking just. I was about to say like savage. that's that story was like, oh, we caught the one guy that was having gay Let's sex. Think about how like, far it has to go to get to that. You know, yeah, like, like that well, was like Harvey Weinstein. It's like, oh, yeah, you found the one movie exec who was sleeping with young starlets. We got the guy. Like shut the fuck up. Yeah, but there's right. something I think you do need to be ambitious to even be interested in drugs. Whereas the young people might not be ambitious. Like the the archetype of that would be like Don Simpson, who was uh, the guy who worked with Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah, he was a producer. When he died, he had like 24 different drugs in his yeah. system. <laughs> he was a guy who was just going 24 seven coke. What do you got? Yeah, give yeah. pills, just whatever. Because he was a shark. He was just a fucking killer. You see him in a yeah uh, interview. He's just going because he just wants to be at that level. So I yeah. think to like be interested, you got to in that sort of thing. You kind of got to be a shark and have a joie de vivre about you, yeah, which is totally. counter to what you would think, which is like, I'm sad, so I'm going to do drugs. So when you're sad, you're just sober and, and kill yourself, I guess. But yeah. if you're <laughs> if you're on crack and you're drunk and you're on Adderall, like yeah. there, yes, there's something going on. You want to take over the world. Yeah, you want to fucking kill it. Right, exactly. No, I think that that's true. Whereas like the SoundCloud rappers die of like, uh, you know, fentanyl because they're they want to like, you know, they're the the depressives, you know, and they're like doing opiates and shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like tech CEOs microdosing LSD is like just Dude, the funniest thing. Well, how about so two examples? Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos. Did you hear what happened to him? No. Oh, this is one of the best stories, dude. He burned himself alive because he was completely addicted to nitrous. This is Tony Shea. He was this Asian guy who founded Zappos. One of like the top techie executives uh, literally burned himself alive in a shed. And and before that, he was known for like walking around Vegas with a nitrous tank at all times. That's, that's good. Yeah, I love this shit. I've never heard great, of this. Dude. That's so fucking funny. He also I, got like rejected by the singer Jewel. <laughs> like that's that's why he killed himself. He was like trying to bang Jewel, and she said no, and then he like burned himself alive in a shit. Just like a, like a Chinese guy high on nitrous yeah. trying to fuck Jewel is so funny to me. Yeah, like just fucking high. He was Vietnamese, but like insane oh, high Vietnamese nerd like trying to bang Jewel. Uh, and, uh, and then there was that. And then there was also the guy who just got stabbed to death in like an honor killing, uh, who was also some big tech guy in, in San Francisco. He got stabbed because he was like banging his business partner's sister or something. And, uh, they tested his blood and it was like, yeah, same thing. It was like 14 different drugs. It was like Adderall, acid, batter, you know, uh, like ketamine all at once. 
I, I remember reading this tweet once, probably one of those vitalism sort of guys, but they were saying that, you know, if you told your barbarian ancestors that in your era you had a magical substance that made you stronger and crazier, you could stay up for weeks on end, like they would tell you to take it. And yeah. that just kind of reframed it for me. I'm like, I guess it does give you barbarian superpowers. <laughs> Well, dude, I like, mean, I like think... PCP is a barbarian drug. It makes you strip naked, yeah. wander down the street with knives and then just start attacking cars. Yeah, I, I kind of believe it. I mean, I, I think I believe in performance enhancing drugs. You know, I think that uh, I think it's good to I mean, this is the problem I have now. I'm you know, I'm I'm like I'm not a normie anymore, man. So I'm not I don't have the luxury of um being anon and like trying to get jobs in the mainstream anymore. I can't get jobs in the mainstream anymore. That's done. It's over. I, they, I, they never call me back. It's never, I mean, I don't try anymore, but uh, I'm too open now to, to do that. So in order to like make shit happen, I got to go to a lot of parties, you know? I mean, I, I have to like meet people. I got to go to events and it's real hard to do this shit sober, you know? I mean, you really do need, like, some kind of fucking edge yeah. to keep well, it Well, you're kind of like me. Like, you have the personality where you probably hate networking events. You hate mixers. You know, I used to go to those all the time where it's, like, shoulder to shoulder with, like, young guys. Oh, oh, they spent their entire paycheck on that suit. To Everyone wants to find the CEO, but it's just other guys looking for jobs there. But, uh, you know, I, I was wanted to ask you this because I remember Gavin McGinnis who a lot of people don't like, I understand why, but early on he had an interesting statement. He said something like, you know, when he became outed for whatever the fuck he is, um, he got kicked out of his agency, but he said, you know, I lost a lot of work, but it was almost like sending up a signal flare, letting other right adjacent people know that who I am and that attracted some other business. Yes. I was wondering, has that been your experience at all? Like has, have other doors opened? Because Oh, absolutely. I mean, without question, definitely. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the whole idea is that it opens other doors and it, it really does. Um, and I'm so much happier, man. I, you know, the thing I really do have to say legitimately is I am so much happier as a person being out than I was when I was split, right. When I was hiding, it, it really, uh, is so fucking different. It just, my mental, like everything works and makes sense. Whereas back when I was working in the mainstream agencies, I would have Monday. I mean, I was also drinking a lot, but I would have Mondays come along that were just pure despair, you know? Yeah. And you're not even really sure what you're, it's hard. It's not like you are like, I'm upset because I'm spiritually forwarding something i hate it's not that simple you just feel bad you know you and it's kind of unclear why you feel bad um and you feel like there's so much distance between what you want to be doing what you are doing and especially at agencies where you've worked there's so much bureaucracy so much of your day is just 
held up with these like because they give out jobs to people who to just make busy work so it's like meetings yeah. about meetings and meetings then it's like meetings, yeah. Yeah. and just how much of your day is spent like learning how to be nice on slack whereas what you want to do like my thing is i genuinely like marketing that sounds lame to a lot of people but i like it i like and people in our scene come to me asking questions for their business i do for yeah. free just because it's cool and i'm interested so that's the job i would love to do but the closer you get in these organizations, like you don't even spend a lot of time doing that, which is, yeah. you know, counterintuitive to what you might expect. Yeah, no, I will. So, I mean, I agree. I also like marketing, but how do you deal with like, uh, you know, being Anon? Does that like, do you feel bad having to like pretend? I somewhat. So I do. I went into this with eyes open, knowing that eventually, if everything goes right, if everyone loves the Blood Satellite show, I'll probably be doxxed eventually. So throughout the years, I've operated with that assumption like, you know, someday everyone's going to know I said this thing. Let's make sure I'm saying something that I would be comfortable saying to my mother or my friends. And I'm just yeah. an unhinged guy. So I do say the things I say on my show to regular people. <laughs> uh, but I don't say like anything that I would be embarrassed if it got outed. So there's that. Um, on the other hand, I do think it's important that people like people should feel comfortable saying what they say online in public. Um, and I, people like knowing that you got some kind of stake in the game. However, I you know approach this from an older internet. You're kind of my age, I think, or around there. So you probably yeah. remember earlier internet. And I just liked the idea of having a real world persona, but also having this special space, the space where you could be anonymous and you could like try out saying stuff yeah. maybe you've never said before. And I'm not saying that should be your main persona, but it was always nice to have this arena where you could find people being their weirdest and yeah. just live there for a bit. That's what 4chan and a lot of these places were people at their worst and seeing what, what's that like or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so I would love no matter if everyone was docs, I do think there is a, a value for anonymity um, especially practically going forward. I like, I don't want people to get fired and that's why I would recommend people be anonymous. If you're afraid for whatever reason that you might lose your kids if it gets outed, if you got a vindictive ex, like there's a lot of reasons why people might want to be anonymous and that's their story. Then, you know, I'm not going to tell them to put everything on the line. Um, but I, I would love to live in a situation and also like the idea that most people I think are convinced that their ideas are more extreme than they are. That's definitely there's a, true. Most there's a lot of people like that, if yeah. you just say like gay sex is gross. Yeah. Like more people would agree with you than you might think. And that's kind of a fun thing. You can find a, a group of people who, if you tease out some of your ideas, you might get a lot of traction. And so if there's any like psyop going on, it's convincing a lot of us that we are extreme schizo psychos. A lot of us aren't, you know, I'm not a huge, huge uh, advocate of like Sargon or academic agent, but you know, they had their, arms around this idea of sensible centrism and i'm not a huge advocate of that but they, they were approaching this idea that you know a lot of the things that you think they're just what are are what we believe was the de facto norm like 50 years ago so let's not buy into the narrative that we're all just fucking schizo fringe rapist madman you know for thinking that tradition's yeah. good or whatever it is yeah i mean ultimately I'm of the belief. I mean, it's like I'm. I, I kind of try to 
wrap my heads around this. And I, obviously, like people immediately, as soon as you start criticizing uh, anything and on, they're like, you're a fucking Jewish doxer, you know? And so I, I'm, a, I'm like aware of this and I, I think anonymity has been great. The anons are like the gods, you know what I mean? Like they're like, they're like these unreal, like, characters that exist not really in the real world you know what i mean and and there's something beautiful about that and there's something really beautiful about their existence you know like i i think there is something beautiful about anon and from an artistic standpoint it's like the character being played is so much a part of the uh thing as um the actual things that they're saying, you know, like the mystery yeah. of BAP is, is a huge part of like what yeah. he is. And just bring it back to Gavin McInnes. Like he was one of those guys who was like, you don't even have your real face out there. Who yeah, are you? I'm right. like, I I've never given a shit about that. If people want to play a character online, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I, I think like you're saying, it's good to, to, I think it's good artistically. Is it good for, the mission, no. It would be much better for the mission, for our, like the the goals that we have, if we were all not anonymous. Because being anonymous, it it really does like um, you know, it like makes it so that you can be split, right? And if you can be split, that does that does give the the regime power because as you just said, yeah. it makes it so that you think, and I completely experienced this. Once I came out, I realized that the things that like I thought people cared about were not really the things like those weren't the things that really upset other people as much as you would think. Right. Um, <clears throat> and so I do think that like in the long run, uh, you know, it's, I think that uh, the 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 trajectory of an anon, and so oh, this is how we should finish because we were going to talk about this anyway. We saw that Solbra uh, posted his face, right, and Bap posted his face recently more, and like, you know, we see these guys coming out of the shadows. I think that that should be the trajectory. It should be like you're an anon, you're experimenting, you're this primordial thing. You reach this certain level and then ultimately it becomes your responsibility. Once you're big enough, you got to like embody yourself, you know, and, well, and that, you got to become a, good a real point. leader, you know, you got to become a real leader and a real artist and, and kind of like take that step. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I, I totally respect the anons. I'm not saying that everybody should do that. I guess I'm just trying to like, what do you make well, of this? Uh, face? I, I agree completely. And also with a, a character like Solbra, you know, as much as you might like his writing or what he stands for, it does hurt the cause if it turns out that he's a short, fat guy. Yeah, right, you know right, I mean? exactly. So if you see someone, oh, this guy, he's fit, he looks, you know, he, he looks like he embodies what he talks about. 
Uh, same thing with uh, Bap. You know, I think he he docks himself, and he's not a fucking short, fat, ugly guy. Because yeah. <laughs> that would that would actually hurt. for a lot of people, even though they wouldn't admit, that would hurt it. And you know, as much as people don't want to say, it, you can tell a lot about a person by how they dress, how they carry themselves. So yeah. if you agree with someone and they just dress and look like shit, it's like, oh, you know, can I trust what they said? It sounds unfair, but that's how the world works. So. And also um, their identity matters, right? I think that Bap being Jewish was actually really harmful to to his. I think it made him look pretty ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like I I don't I'm a complete Bap enthusiast, and I completely am like, you know, on his side, and I I support everything he does, and I, you know, I don't give a shit that he's Jewish at all. But I think that that Groiper attack on him was effective, you know? Yeah. Um, also, if so much of the imagery is at right. least dog whistling, like Aryan Superman, yeah. if it yeah, turns yeah, out you're yeah. Jewish, like, well, that's that you're making it easy at that. Point. Exactly. It's like it's like I was so certain he wasn't. And then when that came out, it was kind of like, whoa. You know, like it's fine. It's it's not a. I mean, that's that's been. You know, I'm I'm Jewish. I'm my mom's Jewish. I'm a Michling, but I'm you know I'm I consider myself Jewish. And when I first got into this world, I was so afraid of telling people, you know, because I didn't want to be judged, and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to immediately be dismissed, right? But then I realized, no, you know what? Like, if I'm gonna fucking do this. I have to own that part of it too. You know, I have to say, all right, well, I'm not going to lie to you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm not, you know? It's the lie that creates the shame that right. people yeah. sort of latch on to. Yeah. Um, and that's why I try and be open about, you know, ourselves as much as we can. Um, for the fact, like I'm half Ukrainian, and so for oh, a lot you of people, dirty bastard. That's thing for like a for like a full two three years. Everyone's like, I hope all Ukrainians. Die. I'm like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I I hear you, but it is what I am, and I'm half Anglo, and so we got a lot of nationalists who are European, and a lot of them, you know, even though they're European, hate Anglo's, hate the British, and so I'm getting it from fucking both directions. But you know, if you just lie about who you are or what you've done. You create the shame, and that's what people kind of latch onto. Yeah, and also, they latch you know, onto the shame. Right. What you're talking about before is interesting. Like the entire idea of having an anon space and your real life space, and you putting all the things you truly believe into this anon zone. You almost bifurcate your personality, and right. you admit to yourself that this stuff over here is bad. And if yes. it ever, yes. it's like having a, a reverse go bag where if the heat yeah. ever comes on, I could cut out that part of my personality entirely when it should be fully integrated into your being and live. And just like working in these offices where you need to lie, you know, even back when I was like a Trump guy, right when he was first, like I remember walking into the place I was working after Trump was elected and just everyone hated Trump. And I was the bad guy for like smiling, but it's like, you need to, if you're not, this will sound bullshit, but if you're not living your truth, if you're not being true to yourself and open, like it rots your fucking soul eventually yeah. and not right away, but 10 years on, you'll be like, why do I feel like I want to blow my fucking brains out? It's because I spend most of my day like lying about the fundamental things I believe in exactly. and creating this alternate because you also in this in this you have like a third personality, which is your work personality, which is I need to talk to the lady who sits beside me and pretend I'm interested in her true crime podcast. That writes about uh, rots your soul too. 
And so like, I, I don't know what to do about that because I don't want to tell people to quit their job. I'm just saying like, th that's, that'll kill you eventually take years off your life. Yeah. 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 Totally, man. I, so as hard as it's been for you, like I bet well you probably want to put a gun in your mouth less than if you were in that previous situation. So that's well, good for you. I mean, you know, you, you're swapping, you're swapping because now it's like, um, I'm definitely much more happy and like excited on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm not, you don't get that like deep, like that deep feeling that there's something wrong, you know, like uh, that, that deep feeling of emptiness and loneliness, like that really is gone. And, and that's great. I mean, that's really the thing that sort of existential angst, I think is something that a lot of people struggle with men and women. And my belief has always been um, that it's not depression. You know, I completely do not believe in like any of these like depression and, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, yeah, any of that stuff. And so I think that that's that those feelings of loneliness or emptiness, whatever, that is your soul saying like, I'm missing something, you know, I need something that I'm not getting. I'm like hungry. Yeah. You know? And it's not uh, something that needs to be medicated away. Right. You know? It's something that is missing in, in what you're doing and the way that you're behaving and you have to change your behavior. Unfortunately, it's sometimes just very difficult to understand what changes you need to make. I mean, I think you kind of know deep down, but we're very fearful people and, and we, you know, we act via, via fear a lot and it's hard to remove that fear. Um, and so I, I definitely have gotten rid of that. Like that, that's deep fear and anxiety and loneliness is gone, but <laughs> what do you trade it for? You trade it for uh, like day-to-day -day worry, you know, day-to-day -day anxiety, like a, a like a low-grade, uh, like a constant low-grade anxiety that you really is very, very hard to get rid of. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. Well, especially because you're sober now too. And I'm right. sure that's a lot of that's hitting you. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's no retreat from it. And, and I went through that as well, which is like the, the hardest thing for me was also, I don't have an escape and I don't even have a reward yes. mechanism where I'm like, Oh, I had something's good. I should have a drink. It's like, well, something's bad. I had a bad day. Things are terrible. Now I just sit here yeah. and I let that irradiate me. And that's hard. It, most people yeah. can't do it. Yeah. But I think if you could even just do that, you're stronger and more capable than you give yourself credit for. And I think cool. it does get easier. I'm just going to tell you that it does. And you'll and honestly, you, you'll probably slip up. And you know what? There's, I might slip up one day. People do that. But like, don't be hard on yourself because you've already made a series of decisions that most people couldn't even conceive of doing. So you're already ahead of most people right now. So how did you yourself get through that period of like not having, you put that very well, how did you get through not having a release valve? Well, I, I tried to stay busy. I started, what I would do was 
I would make sort of a pros and cons list or a list of things that I know I'm not going to do if I'm drunk, like working out. You know, I like to lift. And I know that if I, hey, if I'm hungover, if I'm drinking, I don't really do that. Or I'm not going to write all, all these things that I know that I want to do, but I won't be able to. So anytime I wanted to have a drink, I'd say like, you know what? I'm sacrificing pretty much everything in this column. Is it worth? And I know how I drink. I know I'll lie to myself and say, I'll just have one drink. Well, no, it's not. It's going to turn into 20. Yeah. And then I know that I'm going to wake up hungover. So I'm going to start playing through that entire morning. I'm going to wake yeah. up, have another drink. So that's like 72 hours that are yeah. gone from my life. And also as you get older, I find, um, and maybe you're like this too. I can see the end. I can, I start feeling that my body's aging that didn't yeah. occur in my twenties. So I'm like, okay, I feel like there's a clock ticking now. How much of my time must I maximize to get where I want to be? Cause I'm actually not where I want to be. You know, I, I, there's a place that I think I would like to be in life and I'm not there. And I think the only way I can get there is if I maximize the amount of time I'm doing these things. So that, that for me is it, it's fear. It's yeah. the fear of that overwhelming the, you know, I need to escape the moments just always. And then again, as it goes on, that gets easier and easier. And maybe one day it won't because, you know, tragedies happen. Maybe your fucking wife dies. Maybe your yeah. kid, like, you know, don't afford yourself some room for life to fuck you over. And, you know, but don't fuck yourself over extra. Life will yeah. do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at least it's not heroin. You know, some people, their thing is heroin. I bet that's pretty fucking hard to do meth. You know, uh, booze, you know, it, it, as I got older, it got harder for me to handle booze too. But the hangovers hit harder. Um, it took way more for me to get drunk. Like my tolerance level was fucking ridiculous by the end of it. So it's like, you know, I was enjoying it less and less too, if I'm being honest, like, yeah. and then like a hangover when you're in your forties, like I can only imagine how you want to blow your fucking brains out. <laughs> yeah, dude, no, for sure. I, I hope that answered your, no, your it question. Did, it did. It did. Very, very good answer. Very good answer. Um, all right, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, what What do you do? You have, I mean, of course, we'll send people to the great website and the podcast. Do you have any? You You mentioned writing. Where have you been publishing your writing? I have a website called the uh, Vanguardist Journal, vanguardistjournal.com. That's where I publish uh, my long, long form stuff, usually based off of things we discuss in the show. But our, you know, our show is very irreverent, very comical. But this is where I take a lot of those big ideas and try to focus them into something a bit more serious and a bit more uh, mainstream focused. So, and we also pub I publish a couple other people on there too, um, very stuff that I like, and I tend to work with writers as an editor trying to help them not just like churn stuff out so that's where that is um bloodsatellite.ca is the main website for the show then also goodsuffer.com is our store you talk to jay bird and his stuff is up there also a couple other people uh and the z man i don't know if you know the z man his uh, shirt is up there as well um our policy is a hundred percent of the profits go to the creators so if you buy a, sh a shirt from someone you like they're after production costs they get all the profit i don't even take a cut but that's the Dude, i, thing love we have it. I want to be on your store here yeah I, i'm going to read you my uh i have uh an idea for a shirt can I you actually it. send me that i i need to get going right now because i'm oh, okay. going to feed okay. my kid but i, no, I do no. want to do this let, let we'll i'm going to say yes later. for now uh, all right man thanks for joining thank i had a great time thank you so much all right peace